Welcome, dear friends, to the One Year Bible Tour Guide Podcast. My name is David McAdam, and I'm delighted to be your host on today's episode. Today is June 20th. It is the last day of spring in the Northern Hemisphere, and tomorrow is the first day of summer. We're starting our 25th week of broadcast this year, and this is our 171st episode. We've been reading through the Old and New Testament books, and today we complete the first book of Kings. And tomorrow, on the first day of summer, we will be starting our 12th book in the Old Testament, 2 Kings. So, well done, everybody. And for all of you in the Southern Hemisphere, get ready for winter. And wherever you are on the planet, if you have been tuning in each day, you have been developing a healthy habit of a daily intake of God's Word. And if you're just joining our journey today, welcome. We know that there are other reading plans out there. Many enjoy the arrangement of the Chronological Bible. But personally, I like the one-year Bible reading plan as I prefer the balance of reading through both the Old and New Testaments as it keeps the overarching themes clearly in view. And I don't know about you, but I certainly appreciate reading a proverb a day to keep foolishness away and to hear the heart cries of the prayer and praise songs of the Book of Psalms. As human beings made in God's image, we were made for worship and for living by the wisdom from above. Too often misunderstandings arise in our world as people's words are taken out of context. We find this to be true in the Bible, don't we? The serpent in Eden deceived mankind by this means. This also was the devil's tactic when tempting Jesus in the wilderness. God so loved the world that he did not just send a sound bite or a single thought. He sent his Son, his full thought expressed the living Word of God, and God speaks His full thought to us in the entire span of the Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the message of Christ, the Word of Christ. Paul reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. As we read from the Old and New Testaments, we see how they come together in the revelation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. What is promised in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament through Him. We have been following the story of human redemption from the beginning, creation, then the fall, and we are seeing the disastrous consequences of human rebellion in microcosm in the history of Israel and its kings. But against the dark background of human failure comes the light of God's promised mercy in the plan of redemption. God does not sit back passively as we go on our own way to hell. He authors a rescue. He sends a Redeemer. The second person of the Trinity is made flesh and is given a name from birth, Jesus, meaning God to the rescue. God is salvation. He not only solves the problem of sin that separates man from God, but restores to him the life that was forfeited through disobedience and makes him a new creation so that we can live together with him. So let's step out of the door and get back on the road of our Bible tour as we come to the end of 1 Kings and we're reading from chapter 22 from the English Standard Version. Chapter 22, Ahab and the False Prophets For three years Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to the battle at Ramoth-Gilead? 
And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about four hundred men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord, of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor, at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Chenana, made for himself horns of iron, and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, and said, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger, who went to summon Micaiah, said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them, and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up in triumph, the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains, as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out, and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenana, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah, and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison, and feed him meager rations of bread and water, until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear, all you peoples. 
So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the thirty-two captains of his chariots, Fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It is surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until, at evening, he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. And about sunset a cry went through the army, Every man to his city, and every man to his country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab, and all that he did, and the ivory house that he built, and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah his son reigned in his place. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was thirty-five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty-five years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shelai. He walked in all the way of Asa his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Yet the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, and his might that he showed, and how he warred, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And from the land he exterminated the remnant of the male cult prostitutes who remained in the days of his father Asa. There was no king in Edom, a deputy was king. Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold, but they did not go, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion-Geber. Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat was not willing, and Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David his father, and Jehoram his son reigned in his place. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the seventeenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father, and in the way of his mother, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal, and worshipped him, and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. This concludes today's portion from the Old Testament, and it also concludes the book of 1 Kings. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we have just read. The book of 1 Kings begins with the death of King David and ends with the death of King Ahab. 
In the century and a half of history recorded in this book, the rule of God and the rule of men are contrasted. The government of God is unfailing. The government of men, apart from God, is disastrous. God is Yahweh, and He is worthy to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. But His rule has been rejected by the kings of this world. By covenant, He is the God of Israel and Judah. He is their true King, but His rule is not mirrored in their governments. Israel disliked its distinction as a theocracy, and it asked for a king that it might be like other nations, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 20. First, God gave them a king after their own heart, Saul. Then a king after his own heart, David. Then came the son of David, Solomon, who was appointed to build the temple which his father had planned and provided for. Solomon's reign brought a period of peace, prosperity, and affluence that fueled his own pride, deceived his heart, generated apostasy, and initiated a despotic rule. He made the people's yoke burdensome, hard, and grievous, in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 4. Rehoboam succeeds his father Solomon as a more severe dictator. Due to the corruption of the house of David in Judah, God appoints Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, to lead the breakaway northern kingdom of Israel. Although given an opportunity to be blessed and to prosper, Jeroboam turns from the worship of Yahweh only, and in turning to other gods, he causes Israel to sin. In seeking to please people, he displeased God. He initiated a popular have-it-your-own-way religion of convenience and promoted idolatry with golden calves at Bethel and Dan and built a capital city at Terza. After the destruction of the king's house at Terza, King Omri would establish a new capital of the northern kingdom at Samaria. In the southern kingdom, Abijah, Asa, and Jehoshaphat succeed Rehoboam. For David's sake, God would not remove this dynasty. Abijah was not devoted to the Lord. Asa brought limited reform, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord, in chapter 15, verse 11, with significant compromises, including making an unholy alliance with the king of Aram in chapter 15, verse 18. Jehoshaphat did the same, making an unholy alliance with king Ahab. The spiritual condition of the northern kingdom goes from bad to worse. Jeroboam had caused the people of Israel to sin, and the kings that came after him continued to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. The kings of the northern kingdom of Israel were consistently evil. These leaders did nothing to promote the welfare of their kingdom. They saw the throne only as a means of satisfying their own ambitions. Jeroboam's son, Nadab, is assassinated by Baasha. Elah succeeds his father, Baasha, but is murdered by Zimri. Zimri's seven-day reign is ended with suicide. Omri leads Israel in war with Syria, or Aram. The dynasty of Omri is characterized by apostasy. They are given to pagan worship. Omri's son, Ahab, marries the Sidonian princess Jezebel and builds a temple for the worship of Baal at Samaria. In contrast to the rule of these flawed kings is the rule of God. The rule of God is now communicated not through the kings, but through the prophets. As we have been reading through the Bible, we have seen the foreshadowing of the messianic office in the mediatorial work of the priest and his sacrifices, the king and his rule, and the prophet, and his message. In this way, Aaron, David, and Elijah have pointed to a greater priest, king, and prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the role of the prophet now comes to the fore in the history of Israel. At this time in history, it is the prophet and not the king who most accurately communicates the rule of God. We see this function in the prophetic role of Samuel and Nathan in the book of First and Second Samuel. In the book of First Kings, God makes his will known through Ahijah in chapter 11 verses 26 to 29, Shemaiah in chapter 12 verses 21 to 24, the unnamed man of God from Judah in chapter 13 verses 1 through 10, Jehu in chapter 16 verses 1 through 4, Elijah in chapters 17 through 21, and Micaiah in the portion we read today, chapter 22 verses 8 through 28. Although Jehoshaphat had a heart for God and his word, he foolishly agreed to help King Ahab in an ungodly pursuit in battle, in Second Chronicles chapter 19 verses 1 through 3. Jehoshaphat had his son marry a daughter of Ahab in Second Chronicles chapter 18 verse 1 and chapter 21 verses 4 through 7 and First Kings chapter 22 verse 44 and Second Kings chapter 8 verses 16 to 19. But before joining King Ahab to recapture Ramoth Gilead in the tribal lands of Gad, now overtaken by the Syrians, Jehoshaphat asked that they first inquire of the Lord in chapter 22 verse 5. Approximately 400 of the prophets are ear-tickling possibility thinkers and supply positive affirmations, uniformly bringing favorable reports to King Ahab. Their message brought encouragement to the king. They were similar to motivational speakers today who proclaim whatever the mind can believe you can achieve. Chapter 22, verse 6 and verses 10 through 12. But they do not bring the mind of the Lord. Jehoshaphat recognized that these prophets were not of the Lord. In chapter 22, verse 7, Ahab knew that there was one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I shall speak. 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 14. Micaiah at first mocks the king by giving Ahab instructions to go ahead with his plans. Ahab recognizes that the prophet is toying with him. Then the king said to him, How many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? In 1 Kings 22, verse 16. Then Micaiah prophesies the truth and predicts Ahab's death. So he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Chapter 22, verse 17. Micaiah speaks of God's sovereign will that recognizes the king's propensity to deception. The Lord tells the truth, citing their sin and proclaiming disaster. The popular prophets are permitted to continue to proclaim lies, but God's purpose is not thwarted. Micaiah declares what he sees as being God's sovereignty over Satan and his demons. In bringing due judgment upon Ahab, He allows deceiving spirits to entice Ahab to disregard God-given truth and go to his disastrous death in his attempt to release Ramoth-Gilead from the control of the Arameans in 1 Kings 22, verses 19-23. Micaiah's vision correlates with other accounts of events that take place prior to Revelation 12, verses 7-12, when Satan and fallen angels have some degree of access to communicate with the Lord. We read of this in Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, and the Gospel of Luke chapter 22, verse 31. The true prophets were called by God to communicate the mind of Him who sits on the throne. They paid a price for their obedience. 
Micaiah was imprisoned and given a diet of bread and water. The prophet Micaiah saw the state of affairs as they truly were. Jesus would echo these words as he looked upon apostate Israel. They are like sheep which have no shepherd, scattered on the mountains. 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 17, and Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, and Mark chapter 6, verse 34. As Micaiah is mistreated by the kings and false prophets of Israel, so they would mistreat Jesus. The false prophet Zedekiah, the son of Chanana, strikes Micaiah on the cheek. Micaiah warns that not only would Ahab be killed, but Zedekiah would have to hide himself in an inner chamber during the attack. The word of the Lord came true. Ahab took precautions and went into battle in disguise, while King Jehoshaphat went out in his true kingly garments. Ironically, Jehoshaphat is spared, and Ahab is killed by what appeared to be a certain man who drew his bow at random. Chapter 22, verse 34. The words of Elijah also came true. Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 19. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, reigned for two years and was succeeded by his brother Joram, otherwise called Jehoram. The precise prophecy of the dogs licking blood on Naboth's property was fulfilled in the death of Joram. In chapter 21, verse 29, in 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 25 to 26. Let us learn the lessons from 1 Kings. We do not put our trust in the governments of men. Like the prophets of old, we are called to be subject to the word of God and faithfully communicate it to others. When we read of Micaiah's prophecy in 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 19 to 22, where God allows an evil spirit who desires to deceive Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead, we might wonder about God's relationship with evil. It is important to note that Ahab was already in a pattern of rejecting God's word and giving in to the deceptive prophecies of men. Ahab is given over to his desires, and his rejection of God's word is reinforced as God permits the evil spirit to further reject Micaiah's advice that God's judgment would fall. We may not understand all the reasons why God allows evil, but this is what we do understand. Number one, we understand from Scripture that God Himself is all good. In Him there is no darkness at all. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 5, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold His face. Psalm 11, verse 7. And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There is none good except God alone. In Mark chapter 10, verse 18. And Scripture tells us that Jesus, as God, is disclosing the intended purpose of man by reflecting the image of God. Therefore, he acknowledges God as the source of goodness. Number two, God created a world that was good, but mankind fell into sin by giving in to Satan's lie. Romans chapter 5 verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All have turned aside, together they have become useless, there is none who does good, there is not even one. Psalm 14, verse 1, also Romans chapter 3, verse 12. Number 3, God hates all evil, judges evil, and has a plan to one day do away with evil completely. Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 through 15. He does this through the redemptive work of His Son, Jesus the Christ. 
Number four, the good news is that Jesus came to live and die to save sinners. He provides reconciliation and regeneration, restoring the life of God to the soul of sinners who repent of their sin and believe on Him as their only Lord and Savior. Number five, He will recreate the world anew in Christ to make it good again. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 4 and 5. Number 6. God is sovereign and has control over evil. Luke 22, verse 31. And he is stronger than evil. In Matthew 13, verses 41 to 43. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. And he uses everything, both good and evil, for his good purposes. Psalm 76, verse 10. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And Romans 8, verse 28. The actions of Satan and his demons, who in themselves are intent on evil, can be used by God to serve as his instruments for his good purpose of executing judgment. Now for the next stop on our tour, we go to the New Testament, the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 16 through 41. Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch in Pisidia, a stop on their first missionary journey, and they are given an opportunity to speak in the synagogue. Let's listen in on how the Apostle Paul preaches Christ from the Old Testament. The book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 16. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about forty years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about four hundred and fifty years. And after that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. As John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, After me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him 
from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he says also in another psalm, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament passage from the book of Acts. How wonderful it is to hear the apostles preach the gospel. Paul begins with God's story as he recounts the message of this salvation in the Old Testament, Acts chapter 12, verse 26 a story that they were in some ways familiar. He recounts their history beginning with their bondage in Egypt, where God made from the twelve sons of Jacob a great people. He speaks of their deliverance at the Exodus, their forty years of wandering in the wilderness, their conquest of the seven nations of Canaan, and the allotment of land for the tribes in a period of approximately 450 years. Then came the period of the judges until Samuel the prophet the people ask for kings like their surrounding nations. Saul is raised up as the king of their choice and removed. Then David, a man after God's heart, is raised up. God makes a covenant with David and promises that a descendant will reign upon the throne forever. This, Paul declares, refers to Jesus, whom John proclaimed to be the Savior. What is the gospel? It is the message of this salvation that has come in Jesus Christ. Acts 13, verse 26. It is a message about God's promise of a Savior, in verse 23, and one worthy to establish the eternal reign of God's kingdom. Paul preaches that Jesus was crucified by those who lived in Jerusalem and their rulers who neither recognized him nor the prophecies they read every Sabbath. Jesus was crucified according to the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. He was buried, in verse 29, and raised from the dead as the firstborn from the dead, the representative of a new deathless humanity, fulfilling Psalm 2, verse 7, Isaiah 55, verse 3, and Psalm 16, verse 10. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Psalm 2, verse 7. Paul announces that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant who is promised everlasting life and an everlasting kingdom. Paul concludes with the gospel promises in Acts chapter 13, verse 38. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 3 says, Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. 
Paul warns them not to ignore this truly marvelous message, but to obey its command, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive the new covenant promises of forgiveness of sins, life, and liberty through His gracious provision of righteous atonement on the cross. Hallelujah. Now to our next stop, which is the book of Psalms, Psalm 138, and reading today's psalm will be Joel Wiebe. Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Thank you, Joel. One great promise, one great fact, and one great prayer. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And we conclude our trip today by going to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 17, verses 17 through 18. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. One who lacks sense gives a pledge, but puts security in the presence of his neighbor. Thank God for true friends, and what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. He loves at all times, for he is the personification of perfect love. Those born into our family as brothers stand with us in our trials. They are born for adversity, their adversity is often our adversity, and our adversity is often their adversity. Jesus is a friend that sticks closer even than a brother. Proverbs 18, verse 24. The second proverb in today's pair of Proverbs reminds us that it is foolish to pledge security for someone else's loans. Now let's pray together. Father, we stand amazed that we should be called your children. Thank you for sending your Son, who is not ashamed to call us his brothers, his siblings. He's a true friend who loves at all times, born for adversity, to be our very present help in times of trouble. We praise you for the gospel. We have a living Savior. He is the perfect priest, king, and prophet. We can rest in his perfect work of redemption, his perfect rule in his kingdom, and his unfailing word. We ask that you, the Lord of the harvest, will send forth laborers into the harvest fields of this world, bringing light, life, and liberty through the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've had a very full tour today, and we look forward to joining with you tomorrow. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you would like to receive a daily email with a written copy of our commentary on the day's Bible reading, you can go to our website and subscribe at newlife.org, and you can learn of our ministries there. So until tomorrow, may you be filled up throughout your being to all the fullness of God so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives 
completely filled and flooded with God himself. Shalom. Shalom.